invite you tonight to join with us in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 3. Have you noticed in the stores, uh, just about every store today, there are these things that we call self-checkouts. Anybody notice those? Uh, I don't know about anyone else, but I don't, I'm not a particular big fan of them. I miss the human element. Uh, you know, being able to talk to somebody, being able to look at someone, and you know, being able to just have that interaction with anybody else like that. I, I still walk into the bank and make my deposit. Anybody old school enough to be like that? I, I like that human element. I like to be able to see people, talk to them. It gives them, builds you an opportunity to build a relationship and, and, hope, and with time be able to share with them uh, the hope that dwelleth in you. Amen. And so, you know, it's a great thing. But, you know, uh, sometimes uh, it reminds me of this story, this lady named Mamie Adams. She always went to a branch post office in her town because the postal employees, there were friendly. And she just went there to buy stamps one time before Christmas, and the lines were long. You know how it is at Christmas time. And she said, and someone pointed out there was no need to wait in line because there was a stamp machine in the lobby. She says, I know, but the machine won't ask me about my arthritis. You know, we want someone to care about us, don't we? We want that human element. We want someone to be concerned about what's going on in our life. And, you know, these small, tangible ways that we can display love or receive it are very, very vital for us in our life. And as we look at 1 Thessalonians, we've been encouraged throughout the first two chapters regarding Paul, his relationship with this church in Thessalonica. We've learned so much about how uh, God used Paul to be, begin the church and then how, how that the love that God, Paul had for this church helped him to continue to minister to it. And, you know, I, I think that as we look at the text today, we see that Paul has a great concern for the church in Thessalonica. And it's a concern that, that really is a Christian concern, something that concerns all of us. These concerns that he have are something that we should have in our life toward those around us as well. And so I want to just invite you to look with me in the first five verses of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 as we continue to see in our series, The Triumphant Church, God at work in our life. And so let's look here together in verse number 1. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone. And sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith, that no man should be moved by these afflictions, for yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should uh, suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and you know. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain. Let's pause for prayer tonight. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the words of Scripture. We thank you for the encouragement that the Word of God is to our life. We thank you, God, that the Word of God is still alive and still makes a difference in our life. And today you have revealed to us a concern, Lord, that Paul had that, Lord, we also can have. And so as we look at the Word of God, I pray that our concern for one another, our concern for the lost world would continue uh, to grow. And that, Lord, we would be able to fix our eyes upon the prize. We love you, Lord. May you be glorified in our hearts and our lives tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to see just four things with me tonight as we look at this text. There's, there's going to be some things that we see in Paul's life that I think is important as we think about our own life, this area of concern together. And, and, and as we can think about this, I want you to see first the place of concern in his life. In verse number 1, he says, Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone. 
Paul recounts some history with the church here. And it demonstrates his concern for the people of Thessalonica. And so we see this, that he's in the city of Athens. And, and as we think about the city of Athens, we, we go back to Acts chapter 17. If you want to turn there in a minute, we'll read a little scripture out of it. Uh, but in Acts 17, we see where he moved on to Athens. We see that his life was, uh, was he was thrust out of Thessalonica and he moved to the city of Athens. And he was there alone for, for part of that time. And we don't know the exact chronological, uh, chronology of all that went, ha- went on, and, but it does seem that Timothy, sent, uh, uh, Timothy was sent back to Thessalonica from Athens. And Paul also seems to have sent Silas back to Macedonia on some other errand, and so they were to meet back at either Athens or Corinth later on. And so there was obviously, if, if Paul was alone and you're alone in a city, you don't know anyone that's there, there's, there's typically something you can do. And Athens was one of those cities. I think we have a picture. This is one of the many temples that have been uh, unearthed and discovered there. And, and there's this, the city is just full of different, different uh, temples like this. And, and literally, we could spend uh, probably most of the, our evening together talking about the city of Athens. And, and this particular temple was uh, these, uh, these uh, figures, I, I forget the name of it right now. I didn't write it in my notes. That's what I get. But they, they were part of the, the worship that took, took place in this temple. And so as we see this, we see that the Athens was truly a place that was something to behold. It was something that you could really look upon and something that you would never get bored of. But, but what Paul saw when he saw the, the city of Athens stirred his spirit. He, he, it wasn't that he just went to see scenery. He didn't just go see some, some pretty buildings, but everything that he saw, they were, they, there was buildings and idols that were dedicated to every conceivable t- type of God. Athenians were religious imbeciles, if you will. Truly, Paul's spirit was stirred within him. The Bible says in Acts chapter 17 and verse number 16, if you turn there, you can look in verse 16 with me. It says, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, talking about Timothy and Silas, His spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. The word Luke uses here to describe his anger is the word which gives us, uh, literally, it's, it's something that means that he couldn't hold his peace. He was an emotionally, he was physically stirred up to the point where he couldn't contain it anymore. And, and, and literally, we see this in Acts chapter 17. As we go down through there, we see that, that he couldn't sit still. You, he, I don't think Paul could ever sit still. And, and Paul was in the city of Athens, and he looked, and, and I'm sure he was walking around sitting, uh, seeing the, the different temples and the, even the statue to the unknown God and all these different things and people standing on top of Mars Hill as they uh, began their orations. And, and he'd look at all these things, and was, which truly he realized that this city was, uh, was dedicated to nothing. Soon we we see that Paul was in a hot debate, and uh, and he was in the in the debate with two people. The Bible t- tells us that he was in a debate with Epic- Epicureans and the Stoics. Epicureans were followers of Epicurus, who taught that pleasure was what life was all about. Does it sound familiar? In our day and age, we see that many people don't call themselves Epicureans, but they truly believe that pleasure is what life is about today. The other group was Stoics. The name is derived from the porch where they often met, which was Stoa, and they were disciples of Zeno. And Zeno taught that virtue was the supreme good. 
According to them, a man should be free from passions and should move and be moved by neither joy nor grief, pleasure nor pain. And so we see soon Paul was seeking to win both groups to Christ. And I think we see both of these groups still alive today, don't we? Both of these groups are still people who promote their false doctrines and their false uh, theologies. And as we, as we consider that, the message is still the same. There is only one way to true peace with God. And His name is Jesus Christ. And so we see that Paul stood on Mars Hill. And here he is. Here's Paul below uh, Mars Hill. And you can see kind of a little bit in this graphic, a little bit help you understand a little bit about what this uh, topography is like. And, and he would have been able to stand there and be able to uh, truly to teach and to, and to share the truth with these people. Truly, they listened politely. Uh, you know, but until he proclaimed the resurrection of Christ. They didn't want anything to do with Jesus Christ. They didn't want anything to do with the resurrection. They laughed in His face. Maybe one or two sought Paul after this was over, but, but really they didn't respond to, to, to Paul's gospel the way that he had hoped. Really, probably they suffered from what many people in our own country suffer with today, and that's intellectual, intellectual snobbery. You know, they, they think they're so, uh, so intelligent that they don't need Christ. And so as we look at this, we see that he left Athens soon after this and went on to Corinth. And so we see that really, as he, we think about this, the, the, in his life, he really had a, a passion for the people of Thessalonica. So his place of concern was for these people in Thessalonica. We see that, that, that Paul uh, uses language here in verse number 1. It says, Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone. In other words, I thought it was good to be alone so I could send Timothy back to be with you. I thought it was good so that Silas could go into other parts of Macedonia and to minister to people. He said, listen, your, the burden for you was so strong in my heart. Was so, well, I was so passionate about the concern that I had for you that I was willing to be left alone in the city of Athens. The Apostle Paul really, if you remember with me back in Acts chapter 16 and 17, he left the church of Thessalonica in a hurry. Uh, if you turn there back, back there with me, I'll turn with you if you want. And we'll go back and we'll review some of that scripture together because we see that as he went in, verse, in chapter number 17, in verse number 1, it says, They passed through Amphilius, uh, excuse me, Amphil, uh, that one. And then, Amph I don't know why I can't read that tonight, but I can't read it. And Polyonia, and they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in with them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures. And so he spent some time with them, tried to invest in their life. And then we see later in the chapter, in verses number eight, and it says, And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And, and when they had taken security of Jason and the other, they let them go. We see that they locked Paul up, they, or excuse me, they locked up Jason and they locked up others in the church there. And Paul was burdened for this, and he felt the need to relieve some of that pressure, so he left. Listen, but his heart didn't leave. His concern was still with him. His love was still with him. And we see that, that Paul had a, a deep love for those around him. Romans chapter 10 and verse number 1 says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. He still had a love for people everywhere he went. His love for the people of Thessalonica was so strong, he found himself there in Athens alone. Have you ever been anywhere where you didn't know anyone? You ever been anywhere where you couldn't maybe speak the language? Missionaries aren't allowed to answer. 
But sometimes we, God asks us to go to a place where we don't know another soul there's, and, and there's nothing to do, there's no one to talk to unless you talk to somebody on the street. And I tell you, it can be a lonely place. And yet through that time, he still had a love and a passion for these churches. We would say of any missionary, just like Paul, that a missionary should be concerned about the souls of man. But what about us? Paul was obviously concerned for that soul of man. He knew that the souls of the church in Thessalonica and the souls of the church in Athens and later Corinth and Rome and all of these different places and, and even in Israel, he was concerned for the souls of these people because he gave his life willingly. And as a Christian today, there are concerns that seem to flood our mind, aren't there? Some of them may be concerned about your health, or maybe for some of you, your, your mind is full of concerns over your financial needs. Maybe others, you're concerned about the decisions that your children are making. And, and let me just tell you that these concerns seem to overwhelm us, and Satan is the master at getting our concerns focused on things that really, in the scheme of eternity, are not as important. We must continue to keep our eyes on the prize. We must continue to help our, uh, just, just to be focused on, on having a concern for the people around us. So let's look here in verse number 2. We see the plan to connect. In verse number 2 he says, And sent Timotheus. So he was in Athens alone, and so he sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and comfort you concerning your faith. The plan was here to use Timothy to connect the church back in, connect to the church back in Thessalonica. I know he probably could have used Skype or maybe uh, Facebook Messenger or whatever. That was a joke. That wasn't there back then. There, there was no cell phone service back in Athens in that day or in, in Thessalonica. And so he had to send a messenger, somebody that could act on his behalf like an ambassador. And so person, uh, the, the, he used the person called Timothy. So let's look at this man, because Paul writes some important things about Timothy. In the book of Acts and throughout Paul's letters, we find he always seems to bring up Timothy. Timothy was there when he needed him the most. He was one of Paul's converts, and he was really a young man that Paul loved like a son. He was really, he probably was the one he had more confidence in than any of his other converts. He was responsible we see this. Look here in Philippians chapter 2. If you want to turn in your Bible with me, Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 20, we see his testimony of what Timothy was in his character, in his person. We see that he sent him to Thessalonica here in this church. He also later sent him to Corinth and to Philippi. And this is what he says in Philippians chapter 2, in verse 19. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man, what is that word, church? Like-minded, who will naturally care for your state. And jump down to verse 22. But you know the proof of him that as a son with a father, he hath served with me in the gospel. Listen, this is the testimony that Paul had of Timothy. What an incredible man. This, this was a great man of character, a man that Paul could trust. And so he had this great concern for Thessalonica. And so, so he sent his most trusted uh, convert to Thessalonica in his place. So let's look at the purpose that he had. There's really two purposes. He, in, in verse number 2, he says, And, and to, sent Timotheus, our brother, a minister of God, and fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, and in two purposes, to establish you in the faith and to comfort you concerning your faith. Two words, establish and comfort. We think about established, and uh, that was his desire. This word it means literally to set fast or to make fast, to fix firmly. He wanted their faith to be fit, uh, fixed firmly upon the cross. 
You know, think about a baby, uh, you know, because de- really he's dealing with babes in, in, in the Lord. And, and, and like a child that is, uh, needs the sincere milk, uh, we, we realize that Paul had a desire for this church and these believers to be able to have the milk of the Word that they may grow thereby. He wanted them to be able to grow in truth. He wanted them to be able to, to sh- continue to, uh, to be faithful even when he returned the next time. So he sent Timothy to establish, to fix firmly, to make fast. That was his desire. We see this, uh, this, a similar word in the Hebrew is used uh, in the Old Testament. Because in, uh, when Israel was at war with Amalek, we see that Joshua was down in the valley in the thick of the battle. And Moses and Aaron and Hur, they were on the hilltop. And Moses' job was to lift the rod of God. Do you remember this? And as he lifted the rod of God, we remember that Israel and Joshua at their head prevailed in the battle. But when that rod of God uh, went, uh, came down because Moses' arms were weary, then we saw that, that, this, uh, that, that the enemy prevailed, Amalek prevailed. And so as they're on the hilltop, we see that Moses, he kept his hands upraised, and Aaron and her on either side were, were beside him, helping to stay up his arms. Listen, this is what this word means, to stay up, to keep in place, to help it remain. This is the same, uh, uh, this is the same meaning that's meant here when he says established in the faith. He says to stay up, to help them. And listen, that's what the point of discipleship is. That's the point of our Bible schools uh, or our Bible schools for our children. That's the point of, of Sunday school. That's the point of these things is so that we can help stay up and establish those, uh, our arms in the faith. We can continue. Listen, it took a prophet named Moses, a priest named Aaron, and a prince named Hur. They were all anointed ministers to guarantee Israel's victory. And Jesus as prophet, priest, and king now sits on the right hand on high, our advocate with the Father himself, our guarantee of victory down here. Listen, Timothy's job was to go and help establish this church, help hold those arms up, remain steadfast. Listen, God calls us to the same thing. God continues to call us to help establish one another in the faith. It can't be one man's job, it's all of our job to continue to encourage one another to remain faithful and help hold the arms of one another. Timothy then was also to fix firmly the faith of the Thessalonians. He was to teach them more of God's Word, help them to understand the, 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 the truth of, of what God's Word teaches. He was to visit in their homes. He was to pray with them. He was to share uh, with them the truths that, that he had been taught. And then we also see he was to comfort them. The word here uh, that is used means literally to come or call aside or to appeal to. It's the, it's the desire to cool, pull someone aside and then instruct them, to comfort them. Listen, the church in Thessalonica was facing some intense persecution. It was not easy for them. And matter of fact, there are times when we go, through, we go through trials or maybe we go through an issue and it is such an encouraging blessing when someone comes along beside us and says, listen, I see that you're struggling. Let me just pray with you. I don't know what it is. I don't need to know what it is, but I want you to know that I'm praying for you and I want to pray with you right now. You see, that was his job, to comfort, to come alongside, to appeal to. So that six years later, Paul could still speak of the churches of Macedonia, as he said, and during a great trial of affliction, he could speak of the abundance of their joy, even through their deep poverty. Listen, 
we see God doing a great work. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 8 and verses number 1 through 5. This is, the, this is the testimony that the church in Thessalonica had later. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we had hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. You see, this church gave themselves first. They said, listen, we're going to give our hearts, we're going to give our lives. And when that came, listen, when they went through the fire, we see that they were able to endure. Paul wanted Timothy to go in this early stages of all that they were going to go through and to be able to comfort them. He says, listen, come along, call alongside this, this church and just, just bear with them because they're going to go through some intense persecution. They're going to go through some time that is, that is very difficult for them. And I just want you to be there for them and with them. Let me just say I'm so thankful, as many of us are tonight, for Pastor Tolbert and Sister Shirley. Because in many times we have been through trials. And Pastor Tolbert and Shirley were there for many of us. But he's not the only one. I've seen many of you... And I was just bragging to, uh, to someone just today. I said, you know, uh, I'm so thankful for our church family because I don't have to tell people, you need to go see so-and-so or you need to call so-and-so. Oftentimes, you take care of one another. What a blessing that is. That's what it means to call alongside or to come alongside and to come and assist one another and to comfort one another, as he says here. That's what Timothy was called to do. That's what we're called to do. This was the plan that he had. He says, listen, this is the plan. Timothy, you go back to Thessalonica, encourage one another, because we too have a plan to connect with the world. This is what Christ reminds us of that plan. Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. He says, and he said unto them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's the plan to connect. That's our plan to connect, not just with one another, but now with the world. And so our plan is to continue to preach, continue to proclaim. And listen, Paul places an emphasis on preaching. You know, the world doesn't want to hear preaching, does it? Matter of fact, we have song services now that are 45 and 50 minutes long, and we get a 10-minute sermonette in churches today. No, no, no. I'm sorry, but God uses the foolishness of preaching. Amen? Look at these scriptures with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 17 through 18. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach, uh, but to preach the gospel, not with words of... Uh, excuse me. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of, uh, cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But listen, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Listen, if we, if we abandon the practice of preaching, we abandon the power of God in our church today. We've got to continue to preach. We've got to continue to proclaim. We've got to continue to allow God to use us in preaching. And let me tell you, we've got to continue to see uh, uh, folks called to be preachers. What a high calling. I'm looking forward to Wednesday night. I'm looking forward to taking another young man and his family and saying, listen, we're going to set you aside for the gospel ministry. We're going to set you aside that you can go out from here and you can continue to proclaim and to continue to preach and continue to carry the message of the cross, which is the power of God. That's what we're doing. And I'm so grateful that God has reminded us that that is the plan. We're not going to abandon the plan in the ninth hour, are we? 
We're going to continue with the plan that Jesus Christ left us. We're going to continue to push forward. We're going to continue to renew our love for Him. And we're going to continue to preach the gospel. And so Paul goes on here in verses 3 and 4 and he shares with him a plea. A plea to consistency, if you will. If you look in th- verses 3 and 4 in your Bible with me, we see, and Brian, those is the wrong, uh, that's the wrong text up there. I just realized that in my notes, so you can skip those. In verse number 3, it says, Now that no man should be moved by these afflictions, for yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation even as it came to pass, and you know. Listen, he was calling the church and he said, listen, there's going to be a time of great persecution ahead of you. And so his plea for them was, remain consistent through it, consistent through persecution. Paul talked to the church in Thessalonica. They immediately witnessed persecution. While Paul was there, he was, uh, we saw where Jason was thrown into prison. And, and only because of uh, God's intervention did we see him released. And, and Paul, as a result, left, but they continued to face persecution. And this was what Paul preached. They could face suffering because it had been foretold. Paul preached no cheap gospel. He had never watered down the cost of being a Christian. Listen, today there's... there's uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, uh, was a preacher back uh, during World War II. And probably his theology we wouldn't all agree with. But he wrote something uh, that he referred to often called cheap grace. And that's what we call, what we like to call, or I like to call, fire insurance. People just getting saved, but there's no true conversion in their heart and life. You know, and, and I just want to encourage you today that, that God is calling us uh, to truly be consistent in our life with Him. To really, even, even know uh, that the Christian life is going to be difficult. And when you come to Christ, it's not always roses, is it, church? There's going to be times where it's difficult. And even though we're going to face times of maybe some persecution, he said, this is, the, this is what he said, that no man should be moved. Don't move. Don't, don't, don't quit. Don't, don't stop. And this means to literally to, to wag the tail, to fawn or to flatter in the sense that nobody should be deceived or deluded in the midst of persecution. Let's continue to, uh, to be consistent. We see that he also encourages them here in verse number 4, consistent until the return of Christ. I'm looking forward to that day. And, and you know, as, as we grow weary sometimes, I believe that as we keep our eyes upon that prize, our eyes upon the prize of Jesus Christ uh, and, and the, the, His return, that it's going to be more encouraging for us to remain here and remain faithful. In New Testament times, suffering and persecution was part of life. It was part of the price of truly being a Christian. For 300 years, starting with Nero and ending with Diocletian, the church went through a continual baptism of blood and fire. And it didn't stop there. Today, today, in, throughout the world, we see persecution on the rise. Listen, I, I, we, don't, we don't understand, I don't think, fully the amount of persecution that our brothers and sisters go through in the world. There are some, there's some things that go on in the world that, that we are completely oblivious to, that, that uh, truly our, our media hides from us. And let me just remind you, church, pray for the persecuted believer. Pray that they'll be consistent, that they'll keep his eye, their eyes upon Jesus Christ. That's why Paul continued emphasizing the second coming, because it's a sure, it's a certain hope that God gives us when He talks about this. 
At the height of World War II, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was imprisoned for taking a stand against Hitler. Yet, through all of this, he continued to urge fellow believers to resist Nazi tyranny. A group of Christians being, believing that Hitler was the Antichrist asked Bonhoeffer, Why do you expose yourself to all this danger? Jesus will return any day, and all your work and suffering will be for nothing. And Bonhoeffer said this, If Jesus returns tomorrow, then tomorrow I'll rest from my labor. But today, I have work to do. I must continue the struggle until it's finished. The plea today is that don't quit. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't say, well, I, I, you know, it's just getting too difficult. Let me just encourage you. The plea today is to remain consistent even through the difficult times. Let's continue to share the gospel no matter the cost. One last thing, the plan to conquer. Man, we want to be more than conquerors through Christ, right? We want to see God do a great and mighty work. And this is what he says in verse 5. For this cause, all that I've shared with you, he says, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to your, know your faith. Lest by some means the tempter, having tempted you and our labor, be in vain. You see, he refers here to a real adversary that we face. There's a real adversary that, that desires our destruction. There's a real adversary that desires to, to deceive and destroy. There's a real adversary today that is, that is pulling people uh, with, uh, into the, his clutches and into the, the depths of hell. And I'm telling you that God wants us to be willing to go out and to continue to share the gospel with them. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul knew the cost of discipleship. He knew that the cost of discipleship was high. In 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 28, he, he recounts this for us. He says, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times I received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false, doc doctrine, or false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and na nakedness, beside those things without, that are without, that which cometh upon me daily the care of all the churches. Listen, he knew what it was to suffer, didn't he? When he was talking to this church, he knew what it was to experience a hardship as a result of Christ. And I think sometimes that, that as he was trying to warn this church, he said, listen, the adversary is real. The adversary desires to destroy. And we read 1 Peter 5, 8, and we read about Satan being like an, the adversary, seen like a roaring lion who uh, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And we read that and we think, well, yeah, he, that's right, preacher, that's right. But, but we don't really understand it to the fullest because we never suffered like they have suffered. But listen, probably the greatest, uh, the, the greatest issue that we face today is not outward persecution, but it's inward rebellion. Just being lethargic and just being happy to be here, but listen, we can't lose sight of the plan that God has for us. We can't lose sight of the fact that God is still calling and God is still leading and God desires for us to continue to share, uh, to share and to show uh, the love of Christ with others. It's one thing for, to warn new believers what they could expect. 
It's one thing for him to show the scars of his body on an old wound in his body. It was one thing for him to level with them from the start, for him to tell them tales of, from his own experiences as tall of Sarsus, uh, and as the grand uh, uh, and, and tales of unbelievable, unbelievable heroism and fortitude even unto death. It was one thing for him to tell them of Stephen's martyrdom and how his triumphant death plunged the flaming arrow of conviction into his uh, into unbelieving hearts. It was one thing for him to tell them how he was once stoned and left for dead and how he was caught up into the third heaven, how that he saw things impossible to translate, how even after he coveted martyrdom, it was one thing for them to uh, for him to tell them that he would, he and Silas and even young Timothy counted themselves as sheep for the slaughter. It was one thing to, to warn and encourage them, but how would they take it when it happened to them? Listen, how are we going to take it? This was his concern. He says, he says, listen, I'm concerned that when that tempter comes that you will give up. I'm concerned that in the midst of when things get difficult that you're going to walk away. He says, listen, just like a pastor's heart, listen, when you're going through the fire, don't give up in the midst of it. Persevere. Don't give up. And instead, cling tight to the Word of God. Cling tight to Jesus Christ. He couldn't bear the suspense any longer. So he sent Timothy. He says, Timothy, please go check on this church. They're going through the trial. Please don't let the, the wiles of the devil trick them. He's a dirty fighter. He says, don't let him be uh, connived into, into his tricks and into the worldly lust, but help them to, to stay uh, right with Christ. Listen, tonight, that's his plea for us. Stay right with the Lord. Stay focused on the return of Jesus Christ. Church, listen, we've got to continue to realize that we, we serve a mighty God and we have a mighty enemy. But our God is able. Greater is He that is in us than he that is in the world. I'll never get tired of that verse. I'll never get tired of hearing that our God can do exceedingly abundantly above anything we can ask or think. I'll never get tired of being reminded that our God is a God who is alive today. I'll never get tired of the truth that our God is able. He is able to deliver thee. No matter the, the trial, no matter how big it may be, we serve a mighty God today. And that's what he was trying to remind this church. As you go through the fire and as you're going through times where it's very difficult, let me just remind you, church, to continue to be faithful to the Word of God. God. Church, listen, we're going to go through some fires together. There's going to be some times where, where Satan doesn't like what we walk through, that, that we're trying to follow him. We're going to, we're going to go through some times where, where the devil is fighting us tooth and nail, but let me just remind you that we serve a God who can tonight. Amen. Listen, God is our Father. He never misses anything that goes on, does he? He never misses the fact that we go through trials. And I'm grateful for Paul as he had a great concern for this church that he said, listen, as you're going through all of this, don't worry. We love you. As you're going through all of these trials, let me just remind you that we walk with you. You see, because God's called us to be more than conquerors. More than conquerors together. And, and so Timothy, he was sent to establish, to comfort, to plan. Uh, the plan is much the same today. God is still using you and me to do these same things. And so look at with me in Romans chapter 8. I just want to remind you of this truth. Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39 in your Bible. Because Paul wrote this in the book of Romans. And if you don't have part of this uh, start, or if you don't have it underlined, or if you don't have it marked or uh, some way or some fashion, let me encourage you. This is an incredible uh, just reminder and promise from the Word of God to you tonight. 
Romans chapter 8 and verse 35. Paul asked this question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's all we get? Amen. That's a good amen right there. Think about that promise from God tonight. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God tonight. There's nothing. And there, he, he lists a list that, that is incredible. But as I think about this scripture tonight, let me just remind you that as you go through the trial, as you go through the, the valley, that God reminds us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. When you find yourself overwhelmed, when the, and when the attacks seem consistent and they came to keep getting stronger and stronger, we must be willing to cling to the promises of God. Remain faithful. That's what Paul's desire was for this church. Don't give up when it gets hard. Don't give up when, when, when you're weary. And that's what, what later he wrote to the church in Galatia. He says, be not weary in well-doing, for you shall reap if you faint not. He says, listen, don't give up in the midst of what's going on. He says, listen, I know you're tired, I know you're weary, I know things get exhausting. But listen, this is just a short time that we have here on earth. And let's consistently continue to, to reach the lost at any cost. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. When we're fulfilling the call of God in our life, we see that the church is able to move forward in victory. Each of us, the Bible says that each of us are the hands and the feet of the Lord. You and I, we play a vital role in this thing we call the ministry and serving Christ. You know, it's not about one man. I realized that the other day. I, I, was, I, was just, I was just so thankful for the lessons the Lord has given me. And, and I realized that it's really not about one pastor or one man. It's about all of us working together for one God. Let's continue to reach together. Let's continue to renew our love for, for the lost. Let's continue to have a passion for, the, for those that are within the church and without the church. Let me just say that I'm thankful for those that give their time to clean, help clean the church. I'm thankful for those that give their time to help with, uh, with our children's ministry. I'm thankful for those. And I tell you, this morning, this morning, Sister Gail, I told her before church, I said, I passed by that twos and threes class. And not many of us uh, would probably enjoy twos and three-year-olds. But I passed by and I hear a kid screaming. And he was crying, and here's Sister Gail's voice, just singing out above all the rest of the children and all that's going on as she continues to try to teach these kids and to love on them. I tell you what, thank you for letting God use you. Thank you for letting God use you to help fulfill the call of God in our lives. There, really, I, we could spend all night talking about the vessels in this church that give. They give of yourselves, just like the church in Thessalonica who gave of themselves before they ever gave financially. They said, Lord, here am I. Whatever you want from me, however I can be used of you, whatever I can do to promote the gospel of Christ, that's what I want. 
Dwight Morrow, who was the father of Anne Morrow Lindenberg, once held a dinner party to which Calvin Coolidge had been invited. After Coolidge left, Morrow told the remaining guests that Coolidge would make a good president. The others disagreed. They felt Coolidge was too quiet, that he lacked color and personality. No one would like him. They said, uh, they said then at Anne, who was then age six, spoke up and she said, Well, I like him, she said. And then she displayed a finger with a small bandage around it. And she said, He was the only one at the party who asked about my sore finger. She said, and that's why we should, and, and Mr. Morrow said, and that's why he would make a good president. Listen, sometimes we believe that the, uh, the one that is the loudest or the one that has, seems to have the most successful stories or all of these, these things outwardly, but really it's about seeing the need and having a concern for those around us. Amen. When Jesus Christ was on this earth, this is what he gave his disciples. John chapter 13, 34 through 35, he says, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have loved one to another. Let me ask you tonight, do you see the concerns that God has laid out here. Do you see the, the concerns that Paul has? It was not concerns for his own well-being. It was not concerns for his own needs, but it was concerns for those around him. The establishment and the comfort of the church in Thessalonica. It was for the souls in the, the people of Israel. It was for the souls of people around him. And let me ask each of us, will we demonstrate the love of God? Will we demonstrate uh, a comfort, a, a desire to establish those around us. Will we continue to say, Lord, hear my, Lord, whatever it may be.